Hello and welcome to Sunday Night Conversations brought to you by D1Baseball.com. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. And let us start by saying thank you to our presenting sponsor, Netting Pros. Netting Pros specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting and padding for college baseball programs all around the country. Next time your field or facility needs something new, whether that be netting, wall padding, L-screens, ball carts, Make sure you check out our friends at Netting Pros. These guys are awesome. They love college baseball, incredible products, incredible people. We will see them at the convention in Nashville, which is always a blast. So again, encourage everyone to uh, support our friends at Netting Pros. The show is not possible without their support and really appreciate it. Second year in a row. So uh, gentlemen, good evening. Happy Sunday night. Let me intro the show. This is version 2.0 of the fourth coach conversations that we did last year. This year, we're targeting some of the top assistant coaches in the country. Don't have to be the volunteer. Could be assistant coaches of any genre and topic driven this year. And this tonight is going to be our second round of talking about working with catchers. So this, the whole position of catching has been, man, it's an interesting position in the year 2022. So many changes to the way it's been taught traditionally and obviously most important position on the field. Before you guys introduce yourselves, I was thinking about this when I was preparing today. So University of Texas has been to the College World Series under David Pierce three of the last four years. So 2018, 21, and 22, not counting 2020 because there was no College World Series. So three of the last four years. In 2019, the year they didn't go, they finished dead last in the Big 12. Dead last. So this Omaha program finishes ninth. Didn't even qualify for the Big 12 tournament. And do you want to know why? Catcher. Now, it's that's simplistic. There was more to it. But I'm telling you, they got decimated by injury at catcher. And it was they had a very young pitching staff. And the catching was just a mess. And it affected the pitchers. And their season literally imploded. And I'm telling you, if you put a gun to my head and said, hey, what's the one reason why Texas didn't even qualify for the Big 12 tournament? This program that is top five in the nation, it was because just injury riddled at catcher. So anyway, you could very easily argue most important position on the field. So let's get into it, boys. We're going to go around the horn. I want you guys to give us your name, where you're from, where you played, where you've coached. Let's do an intro here. So Tanner, go ahead. You start. Hi, my name is Tanner Holen I'm from Manhattan, Kansas. Played at Iowa Western Community College for two years, University of Cincinnati for a year, and the University of Kentucky for two years. This is my second year coaching collegiately, first year at Ball State. All right. Tanner, you played at Iowa Western, right? Yes, sir. You played in Grand Junction? I did, yep. Okay, so I did this last week with somebody. Grand Junction is absolutely all over my bucket list as a college baseball junkie. Explain Grand Junction to us. It was a very exciting time. We played in front of, I believe, 14,000. We played the, uh, the Memorial Day game. So a whole bunch of people come and they deliver the game ball, helicopter, and then... Like released. every game or just the one game you played? No, the Memorial Day game, but there's oh probably gosh, at awesome. least 10,000 at every game. And it was just special atmosphere those people they loved their junior college baseball and the talent and ability that was there was it was incredible that's awesome hey boys before i get one more follow-up for you tanner before i forget hey when you're not talking make sure you mute yourself i'll do the same just so we get the cleanest recording possible one other one follow-up for you tanner what, tell me about your background as a catcher did you catch ever since you were in little league did you yeah what was your yeah tell me about catching in your playing career yeah, so I really, I started catching my sophomore year of high school. I was traditionally a third baseman and pitcher, more of just a need at the position and tried it out a few times and uh, fell in love with it, fell in love with 
being in on every play, communicating with the team. It was just, it was a great position once I tried it out, man. So I, that's where it started. I love it. Very cool. What pitcher were just, just big arm strength or were we yeah, featuring as a chucker? Yeah, it was just arm strength at that time. So, yeah. I always, I will say, every time in recruiting I ever heard someone say a pitcher was a converted catcher, I was immediately more attracted to that person. Like, converted catcher, like, I'm all in on that. So, you were the opposite, but it's all good. Yeah. Very cool. Good. Henry, go ahead. You go next. Um, Henry Lartigue. I played at Old Miss for three years, I played six years of pro ball. And then I went back and last year was a student assistant at Old Miss, finished up my degree. And this is my first year on the volunteer at Arkansas State. Where'd you grow up, Henry? Where's your, what's home for you? South Haven, Mississippi. It's just outside of Memphis. So, so was picking Old Miss easy or because you have three incredible college baseball programs in your home state? I wasn't an Old Miss fan as a kid. My dad is from New Orleans. My mom is from the surrounding area. But it was easy for me to pick Old Miss when they were recruiting me, for sure. Yeah. And so I want you to I want you to fact check me on this. If I'm not mistaken, last year when you were at Old Miss, you literally had four college catchers on your coaching staff. You and Mike mm-hmm. Bianco and Mike Clement and Carl Lafferty. Is that true? That's correct. So so any the catching conversations do is there so much catching knowledge there that we have to like not talk about it or are the catching conversations like we have to get the boxing gloves out? No, I think the greatest part about one playing for those guys and then working for those guys is there's a standard that was set and it's understood collectively. And so it's more of a collective conversation than it is a boxing match for sure. Was did so, so certainly was, were any of the, so Clem did not play in the sec, but Laugh and Coach B, did any of them get all SEC like you did? In, in theory, you're the most accomplished catcher of that group. I'm actually not completely sure. I know Coach Laugh was pretty good as a senior, so he possibly was, but I, you'd have to fact check me on that one. <laughs> That's great. Hey, same question as I asked Tanner, Henry. When, what, tell me about your background in catching. Started really young, or how did you get to the position? I had always caught, but it wasn't a primary position. And then similar to Tanner, made the high school team, and they saw that I had my own catching equipment, and they're like, okay, you catch now, full-time. <laughs> One of those bringing your own equipment isn't that yeah like that's yeah I like it that's great that's very old school oh very cool Coop go ahead my name is Cooper Gowen I'm at Murray State University here in year two I went to TCU for four years and made this is my third coaching stop since then but it was at Hendricks College and then Oakland University now at Murray State love it so. So, Cooper, you were at TCU during the four straight Omaha runs. That was part of your career, right? Yeah, the third and the fourth were my first two years there. And so you're the so if I recall those four Omahas for TCU, one was Pepperdine at home, was the Super Regional. That was an incredible Super Regional. That was that, right before. Yeah, that was right before. Yeah. And then there was two A&Ms, and you were there for one of the A&M Super Regionals, right? Uh, the one in College Station was my freshman year. No um, way. Boomer White, Storyline, and all that. That was my first year yet. So, so that, so it's in College Station, and Boomer White had just transferred from TCU to A and M. Yeah, so that was like before the transfer rule. So he had, he had two years removed from TCU, but it was his first year playing there, and they were really good. And of course, we matched up with him again in the Super that year. That was that was probably the coolest baseball weekend I've ever been a part of. That was it was pretty cool atmosphere, and then obviously getting a chance to beat him was made it a little bit better. But 
And that that went three games, right? Did went three games. Yeah, Sunday late in Sunday or Sunday night or Monday morning is when we finally won it. But Luke and that was part of Luke and Baker's postseason of fifteen homers, or whatever he hit. But yeah, that's right. The eighth continent, Luke and Baker. That's right. Yeah. He was. Yep. Oh my gosh. Is he still playing professional baseball, Luke and Baker? He is. He's in AAA with Cardinals. Oh my gosh. That's a large man. So so same question for you, Koopa. So catching, something you've done a lot of your life or part of your life or what yeah, tell me about catching for you. Didn't really until I it was a junior in high school. There's we had a really good catcher that was a senior and it broke his wrist or his hand on the first day of practice and we had a kid, his name's Chance Kirby's in double with the Tigers. It was ninety ninety two in high school and they were like Hey, uh, the next option is a freshman that I think is a little bit nervous to get back there. We just get back there, just catch it. And I was like, sure. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I could catch it and throw it back. And when I got to college, that's how I stuck around. So I moved behind the plate full time when I was in college. And that's how I fell in love with it was once I got to college. That's awesome. By the way, we don't have to have played the position we're coaching, right? I always think about George Horton, who's a Hall of Famer. George Horton was Augie Garrido's pitching coach. And when George Horton played at Fullerton, he was a left-handed DH. So it's the best. Hey, one more coop. So Murray State, you guys are MVC. You're the Valley this year? Starting now, yep. Starting the spring. Oh, that's awesome. Gotta love it. Great baseball league, the Valley. Excited about it. Yeah, that's really cool. Good. All right, Coach Frady, you're up. How you doing? I'm Kevin Frady from Kent State University. Previously coached from here. Coming from here, I was at Southwestern College in Winfield, Kansas. I got hired away from West Texas A&M to start the program there. They hadn't had baseball in 68, so that was a treat and a handful. I was at West Texas A&M in the 2016 season, Maryville University the 2015 season. I took a couple of years off. I was at the University of Kansas from 05 to 10. And then before that, I was down in Phoenix as I scouted for the Mets, coached at Edmonds Community College. And when I was there, we had on our staff, Hank King, Ryan Reynolds, who you know as well, Runes, Ryan Fox, who was, uh, he's now the Northwest supervisor for the Blue Jays, but he's drafted Drew Storm, Derek Norris, and a couple other big leaguers. And then we had Travis Jewett, who's obviously Arizona State, Gonzaga, Washington State, Vandy, and now USC. So, That's awesome. Was Donnie Marbit the head coach at Edmonds or he hadn't gotten He there was yet? there after we had left, but Donnie and I are from the same hometown. No uh, way. Aberdeen, Washington. Yep. That's cool. So who was the head coach? It was Hank King? No, Travis was. Travis Jewett. Travis was the head coach at Edmonds. Okay. Yep. 97 and 98. He had been at Tacoma before He was that, at Tacoma or... and then got the job in the winter of 97. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's exciting to have Travis back on the West Coast at USC mm-hmm. on Andy Stankowitz's staff. So, yeah. so uh, Frage, you and I were talking about this before we hit record. So, you, when I was at ASU, you were the area guy for the Mets. Mm-hmm. And I think you're the only person in mankind ever to have drafted his own boss. So, you took our Jeff Duncan was our center fielder. You took him in the seventh round. And, and now Dunk is the head coach at Kent State, your boss, and yep. doing awesome stuff. So yeah. you, yeah, you go way back with your boss. Yeah. And it's, I'm honored that he's given me this opportunity. It's such a tradition rich program. And it's funny, uh, coaching catchers here and Scott Strickland, who's at Georgia now was here and he was a catcher. And so there's a lot of tradition for this position here and just honored to continue on with it. 
Awesome. One more follow-up for you, Fritz. So yep. Southwestern College, they haven't had baseball in 68 years, and then they hire you, and you're going to just implement the program. It seems like an awesome opportunity. It seems like something that would cause a lot of hair loss, too. But the, oh, it's a good thing. tell me why. I want to know why they wanted to do baseball again. That's really awesome. They're in the KCAC, the Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference, and those are NAI schools, and they're enrollment-driven. Mm. So any way they could implement more sports to bring in, put more butts in seats, that's what they were going to do. So, yeah, I got I got the job. I think my first day on campus was December 2nd, 2016. And I remember a couple of drives talking to my then wife and saying, hey, what did I get myself into? I just wasn't sure because the kids just weren't coming. But we managed to open up the fall with a 38 man roster. And um, I was incredibly proud to pick to finish 10th out of 11 teams. And we finished fourth that first year. It was a special group of kids and was really proud of what we built there. So, because awesome. it was nothing, had to put convert a city park and we built the batting cages, the bullpens, did all the field work and just, there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into that. That's awesome. Really cool. And their nickname, their mascot was the Mound Builders, which is one yep. of the great mascots of all time. So that's awesome. Very cool. All right. Hey, Tanner, let's come back to you. Let's go. Let's start here. Tanner, give me your favorite MLB catcher and why. I'm going to say JT Realmuto. I love the way that he just goes about his business. I think that obviously guys love throwing to him. I think that he, I think he's probably the most complete all-around catcher in the big leagues. He receives at a really high level. Obviously, he's the best catch and throw guy in the big leagues. And obviously, his team has success partially due to him. He's one of my favorites. Another one I just like to watch receive is Jose Trevino with the Yankees. I really love how he receives. Um, and then I grew up a Salvador Perez fan from Kansas. So obviously Salvi struggles receiving sometimes, but uh, he was a big part of that 2015 championship team. So I grew up watching him a lot. Salvi is a large man. I just picture him as just a mountain of a person. So those are good ones. Henry, how about you? Favorite MLB catcher and why? Favorite MLB catcher was Posey just because he was athletic, right? Converted catcher. And I liked how he manipulated setup more than anything to work the balls back into the strike zone. He had some things going on with some good left-handers for a long time, and I always felt like left-handers were tough to catch. Coop, go ahead. Same question. Could be current or past, too, by the way. Any MLB catcher from any stretch of time and why it's a favorite? Um, I think probably my all-time favorite is Pudge. I love just the way the energy he played the game with and like the pride he took in, in throwing guys out and his, his leadership back there. And then I like Nola in San Diego the same way with what Henry was talking about, the converted guy. I, I think he's really interesting from – Learning a new position at the big level is pretty cool. And the way that he's made himself into a really good defender and um, the way that he's able to use his athleticism back there is pretty neat. Yeah, when you talk about the throwing, like Pudge, it was amazing. Like him and Benito Santiago, I would buy a ticket to a game just to watch them throw. Like I'd buy a ticket to watch them take in and out, honestly. Just full, incredible arm strength. I love it. Hey, Henry, let's see if your connection's any better. You got me? Yeah, I think we're better. Hey, so when you were with the Phillies, were you saying that JT Real Muto, you intersected his time? Or yes, was he not was, there? Uh, we did. I was in big league spring training in 2020. And so I got to spend every day with him before the world shut down for a little while. And so I got to work alongside him. And not only do I think he's the most athletic catcher in the league, he might be the best athlete in the MLB. Yeah. So it's, it's been pretty, it's pretty impressive to watch, see what he does. Isn't that incredible, though? Like he, I, I, One of the questions I'm going to ask you guys is, when should a young player start 
dabbling in catching. And I think the myth in my brain is that it, the position really beats people up physically. And so you'll lose athleticism over the course of your life if you're catching a lot. But JT Realmuto has been catching for a long time now. And to your point, Henry, like he's still extremely, it, it's almost, he runs around almost like he hasn't been catching for the last 15 years. No, you're absolutely right. I think sometimes we would joke and tell him that he probably should have played a different sport because <laughs> he's too good of an athlete. Yeah, that's fair. Very good. All right, cool. So a good connection there too, Henry. Freds, go ahead. Coach. With you and Benito Santiago, the things he did, throwing, it was just very special. Pudge, he was on a level all his own. Then you could go to Yachty and the same thing. Those Dominican, those Latin guys, they just had a looseness in and a vibe about them back there. They just played the game with just some tremendous freedom. Coming on to the domestic side, I'd have to say Matheny. I really like the way technically sound, how he was. And we have some old video that I still use that it's still great teaching points that I'll show catchers with Matheny. JT's outstanding. And then Trevino. So there's, you just like going back to the scouting background, you just like watching players and seeing what they can and cannot do. Each guy has its own his own unique set of skills and talents and abilities, and I love watching how they utilize those on the field. Yeah, Yachty is what like I'll go a different sport. Yachty's a great call because he reminds me of that. The, there was a family I played pickup hoops with growing up, the Chambers family, twelve kids in their family. So the competition level was like like they're fighting for food. Patrick is now the head coach in basketball at Florida Gulf Coast. So anyway, we would play pickup hoops and it was almost like a fist fight every day. Like if your team was going to lose, one of the chambers was going to look at you like, okay, we're if your guy scores this final bucket, we are fighting. That's a fact. And that's Yachty to me, right? Like Yachty's, his vibe with the pitcher is like, you're doing this today. This is going to go well, whether you like it or not, you are going to pitch well today. And then oh, I love that. And then Tony Pena was another old school guy that I wanted to mention. Like, I feel like Tony Pena was like the one knee guy before there was one knee guys, right? Like Tony yeah, Pena. He's the yeah. scissor, the kickstand yes. guy. Oh, another wow. name that you can throw out on old red and old Mariner was Danny Wilson. He didn't get a lot of credit for yeah. what he did, but Dan Wilson was a solid sound tech technique, sound catcher. University of Minnesota, right? That's I think where he, yeah, played. I believe he was. Yep. Love it. Yeah. Very cool. All right, cool. So let's segue this way. Tanner, two part question. The first part of the question leads to the second part. So the first, so you think about, oh, there's a lot that goes into catching. There's receiving, there's blocking, there's throwing, there's the leadership part of it. There's calling the game if you get to do it as a pro or even in some places in college. So here's the thing, here's the question. What's the hardest thing to teach a catcher? If I'm deficient in one of those areas, what's the hardest one to catch me up on? And so it leads me to the second part of the question is, what are you looking for in a catcher in recruiting, knowing that, hey, some things you can help me with and some things you have to have when you show up. So what's the hardest thing to help me with and how does that impact the way you recruit catchers? I think that natural leadership is probably the hardest thing that you could teach a kid. I think that it's very evident guys who gravitate towards certain people. I think that just the way that you carry yourselves, how the teammate kind of portrays you, you instill confidence in them. I think those are really hard things to teach certain guys. I feel like they have it or they don't. You can always fake the vocalization part of it, but guys, they gravitate towards natural leadership. So yeah, that, that would be probably the hardest thing to teach a catcher. 
Is that something that you're out scouting a catcher and recruiting? Is it something like you're trying to read body language, you're trying to hear how they communicate, or is it more you're talking to coaches and trying to figure out, hey, does this guy play quarterback also? Does he Is he a point guard? How do you sniff that out? I think you take everything into account. I think that you watch them play and just how they carry their business. Body language is a huge one. Vocalization, too. Obviously, if they play other sports where they're in a leadership role, that obviously plays a part in it, too. But I think when you watch a catcher, you know if you know if this is his team or if he's just being passive Mm -hmm. so so put that aside for one second let's finish up with this part of the question if i'm your recruit tanner and i'm going to be so just think about receive block throw i'm going to be really good at two of them and deficient in the other which is the one you'd prefer that i'm deficient in because you feel like you can help me the most i'd say throw i would say catch and throw i think receiving and blocking are the two most important parts keeping Mm -hmm. the game front catching at the highest level pitchers can also help with the run game as well where the sure. catching catching and blocking that's solely on you and i think that now with the technology of how to track the transfer times footwork and those kinds of things i think that for me personally i think the easiest one for me to teach would be to throw and be better at catching and receiving yeah the great arm it's like for outfielders too right the great arms are like a, they're a blessing and a curse because the the outfielder with a bazooka doesn't want to just throw the ball to second base and keep the double play in order, right? They want to throw it into the stands and let people, yes. Okay, I like that. That's very good. Henry, go ahead. I'm probably piggybacking a little bit. The hardest thing I would say to teach a catcher is almost ownership of the game. And I would say the first day I stepped on campus as a freshman old Miss, I was told that there's no such thing as pass balls and wild pitches. They're all just called balls past the catcher. So, and I think once players can uh, adopt that mindset, you realize that you become a better catcher, right? And uh, I think it takes some time, right? That it's your job to keep the ball in front of you. And like I said, once you adopt that as fact and truth, you can amaze yourself at how good and what you can and can't keep in front of you. What about in recruiting, Henry? What's important to you if you're recruiting a catcher, you're out scouting a catcher? What's what are what's the thing that's most important to you? And I'm thinking more physically and athletically as opposed to clearly the leadership's important. Right. And uh, I would say that the kid's got to be able to get in position to be successful, right? I always think of good receivers have freedom of range of motion. So whether that's built through stance or flexibility or whatever, and all of that can be improved, but a kid it's difficult to catch if you're in a bad position to catch, right? Yep. And so I think having some knowledge of that helps that learning curve become a little bit smaller. Coop, or Henry, sorry. I love what you just, the first thing you said, I still can't get out of my mind. And I'm thinking about when I'm scouting games and I'm going to write something, I literally never in my scorebook write WP. It's always PB. Like you, the pitcher would have to throw it into the dugout for me to write wild pitch. If it's in the same zip code as the catcher, no offense, catchers. I'm not trying to be too hard on you, but I guess sorry, not sorry, right? Like I totally believe in that. A ball past the catcher is a ball past the catcher because pitchers are going to do that. They're good at like going to throw in the gutter. So that's right. Oh. Yeah. Who said that? Was that Laugh who said that, or was that Coach B that said that? Collectively, but I'm sure that's <laughs> Coach B. See, they were in they were of one voice there that's so great oh very cool all right coop let me repeat the question just so, so you're caught up so what i'm looking for is what's the hardest part to teach if you want to do the leadership part that's great i'm also curious about of the the receive block throw what's the hardest part what's the one that's hardest to help a player with and then piggyback that into what what are key things you're looking for in a catcher and recruiting 
Yeah. So the way that like I always I talk with our guys about like how we're going to train and stuff is that there's four major parts, catch, block, throw, and then communication. You just got to think about like how much as a catcher you're communicating with how many different people, whether it's the umpire, whether it's the pitcher, whether it's coaches, whether it's the rest of the defense. And it's hard to train because it's without being in game-like situations, it's hard to get reps that can really, really replicate that. So I think that's a huge thing. Like guys that like bounce off, both what they're saying is if guys are passive, if guys aren't able to, to you know, accurately kind of portray what they're seeing, they, you know, as catchers, we're the best. We're the best gauge of what a pitcher is, even more than the radar gun. Hey man, like I, I've caught him four hundred times. Like he looks different today than he, than he normally does, or yeah. he's cutting it today instead of we, we normally got a good ride or whatever. So I'd say that's the big, the toughest thing to teach because there's a lot of it that like man, it's hard. To, there's very few drills for it or like settings that you can work on it. And then talking about some of the like the catch block throw. Shoot, I, I guess I'll say blocking because if a kid didn't want to block, it's hard to it's hard to get consistent results so that's it kind of comes off the same thing you don't want to but guys like man if you're fighting them to get down there and do whatever it takes to block a ball man it's you know, they could know know the perfect form or technique all they you drill it all they want but as soon as a live bullet's coming out of them stuff changes it makes things tough so i'll say that and then in recruiting i think athleticism uh, which is a little bit kind of what henry said but man you can it just gives you that that ability to improve everything a little bit easier to eliminate some of the some of the hurdles guys that are good athletes tend to be able to obviously throw better it helps them you can work on blocking stuff a lot better like guys that can move way better and i think it, i think you know, over the past couple of years it helps in receiving like guys that have really fast hands the guys that, that are strong strong in the upper half and the lower half it helps in receiving a ton so that's the biggest thing and then that, that toughness aspect of it our one of our guys we have this year one of the things that sold us on him was our head coach said that he was watching him block fastballs with his face. So that was, that was a selling point for him. And I'll tell you, it's been true. He's been awesome for us, but he, that's, so those are probably the two things, athleticism and that toughness. Yeah. Toughness, insanity, whatever you want to call that. That's amazing. That's yeah. awesome. Hey, let me ask you this Coop. So when you said something very interesting, nobody knows your pitchers better than the catcher, right? And you, you said something where, and even the pitching coach who knows the pitcher really well, he's not behind home plate on game day. You are. The catcher is. But yeah. if you're the catcher, you can't go running in the dugout after an inning and you get right up in the pitching coach's grill and be like, oh, Mike Rooney's blah, 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 blah today. The pitchers are not. So so here's my question. Do you have to have a system where the catcher can communicate stuff like that to the pitching coach? Or do the pitchers just got to get over it and the catchers are going to talk to the pitching coach and that's just the way it's going to be? I think that, that level of trust it, – we, we've got that with our guys and it's right hey, if, like you said we have the best vantage point we see him yeah. from such a unique angle i think it is just going to tell him like hey you you and i both know we've seen him a thousand times this is and this is what it looks like today especially during games like when you're in the dugout there's just no way of being able to tell like certain way like if the ball's moving different like if it's coming out of his hand like you just you don't get that same vantage point like even from a yeah. bullpen and right behind him so i think just tell him hey like it's he's I've never seen him throw sinkers in his life, and he's throwing he's seven out of ten fastballs. He's sinking it. It's, yeah. So just to then, even if it's like not, not not a big deal, and it's like some small tweak that can happen in your warm up pitches next inning, I think that we all, I always encourage my guys to go tell them, just be like, hey, like this is what I'm seeing. Yeah. You may not think it's a big deal, but this is this is what's happening. So like maybe it's like oh, like that's why. You know, we every time we think we get it, we're, we're missing strike calls on the edge is because he's cutting it instead of having that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's four inches off where we think it where it normally would be. So. Yeah. Yeah, no question. It is so funny. Like from the dugout, he, over time, you get really convinced that you can see balls and strikes when the truth is we all know we really can't see balls and strikes from the dugout, but it just, you feel like you can. So, oh, that makes total sense. No, good answer. 
Coach Frady, go um, along lines with the uh, communication part. And in that is I talk to our guys all the time about conviction, having conviction when you're out there on the field, because it's such a rare position that you have eight sets of eyes on you and how you go, they go. Something I learned from Dan Spencer a long time ago was hey, a good pitcher can make or a good catcher can make an average pitching staff good and leave that. But also on the flip, an average catcher could make a good pitching staff average. So we just, I want them to have conviction in everything that they do back there, whether it be throwing or blocking, receiving, and especially with communication. The toughest thing though, that I see with the kids nowadays, I, I don't know what it is, just the lack of feel for the game. So like you brought up pitch calling, you can't really turn that over because they sometimes don't know. They'll get real cute and fancy and show the whole arsenal to that first hitter. And you're, well, why did you go with this pitch in that count? Why here? Why there? And they don't have an answer. They just said, well, I just, I called it and I'm going, okay. So just a lack of feel that kids have for competing and playing the game. But those are the, that, that would be the, my biggest piece is the communication, lack of conviction. If I'm looking for a guy, I'm not looking just for behind the home plate either. I'm going to look for a guy that we could possibly convert. There might be a middle infielder that just doesn't fit the mold there. Heck, going back to your ASU days, you had a catcher that had a 30 arm. Right. And Casey Myers, and he was a two-time Pac-10 player of the year. So what can another guy bring? I may not go and find one that fits my mold behind the plate that day, but there's this guy over here that, okay, hey, he may not be getting a chance. He's not going to get a look. He doesn't. We've had some success with those guys in the past. When I was at University of Kansas, we took a converted middle infielder out of Tulsa, James Stanfield, and he was an all-Big 12 catcher. And so... It, it is possible. I think too many times we just look for those guys rather than a guy you can craft and mold into your own. And I'm along the lines of, uh, you know, with what Maddie said about the throw or Tanner said about the throwing. I think that would be the one to teach. And we have spent a lot of time just playing catch and, and being directional with everything we do. Yeah. So all of them brought up great points and we could probably get into an interesting roundtable discussion that will last well into tomorrow morning about the topics that we talked about. Yeah. And you, what you said about leadership, it's funny. The first talk we did this year, Dave Lawn was talking about routines for their relief pitchers. And he brought up something I think applies to catching. He said that you've got to be really specific in the rules you set up for the guys getting hot in the pen because he brought up this instance where the starting pitcher is getting into trouble, walks the leadoff hitter, and the relief pitcher is that guy's roommate. So because they're buddies, they're best friends and their roommates, the guy in the bullpen says, well, I don't have to get out super fast because he's my boy and I know he's going to get out of it. Whereas right. if it's some freshman, then maybe I'll get hot super fast. And Lonnie's, oh, you're making coaching decisions now. I'm going to tell you one, two or three. And you just, you get hot according to that. It's the same thing with catching. Like the responsibility of calling a game is so complicated. And then you have, then you've got this relationship that the catcher may or may not have with their pitcher. And, oh man, it's, yeah, I'm with, obviously in college baseball, it's, uh, I just think it's a lot of responsibility, but you brought up Casey Myers. He was a 4.0 in college. We did turn the game calling over to Casey because mm -hmm. He was smarter than we were. If we're well, I remember honest. us scouts were always talking about wanting to draft him because we'd have job security because he was probably <laughs> going to be a GM someday. That's right. You know, double oh. major. Yes. Yeah. Matt. Yeah. He got one B in college, Casey Myers. And we think he did it on purpose because he was sick of the guys teasing him about having yeah. all A's. So anyway, very cool. Hey, boys, let's go. This question we got to talk about tonight. 
So let's unpack the one knee controversy. So I'm going to, I'm going to put, here's the context with nobody on base. Absolutely. A one knee stance makes a ton of sense, right? You can get below the baseball easier, more flexibility, all those things where I think the average fan, I'm going to put myself in this category is you got a runner at third base and you've got a guy, a relief pitcher in the game, who's not going to be dotting the glove and mentally it's, there's no way I'm a better athlete on one knee than I am on two feet. There's just physically that doesn't seem possible. Yet, data people will tell you that one knee catching has not increased pass balls or wild pitches at all. I feel like a lot of catching guys will say that, hey, it really doesn't impact my guy's ability to block the baseball. And the ones that you're talking about weren't blockable on two feet because they were, they were just, those pitches were so heinous. But I, you guys are the experts. I'm not. I'm speaking as an average fan, not a catching guy. So, Tanner, let's start with you. Talk me through why it's okay for a catcher to be on a knee. With a, it's okay for you to say it's not okay, but a, a catcher to be on one knee with a runner at third and a pass ball scores a run. I think there's, I think there's a lot of different things that go into it. First, I would say, personally, what, what is your best position to block? I think some guys are different. Obviously, mm-hmm. that position, some guys move better out of certain positions than others. I think who you're catching at that point in time, like you said, if it's a wild reliever, you have to know who you're catching, what his tendencies are, uh, where he misses, some of those things. Personally, I think that it's probably the easiest thing to teach to knee blocking. But like I said, it's it's a personalized thing. Obviously, if you've shown that you can block one knee if you want, then obviously we'll try that out. But in my opinion, it's whatever works best for you. I'm not really against one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. You got to cater to the individual. Very, that's a good answer. Henry, same question. And where I'm going with this, is it like you you go anywhere you want with this, but here's the question that Tanner kind of sprung in my brain. Is it possible for someone to be better at blocking the baseball from one knee than they are from being up on two feet? I do think it's possible. Um, And I stand on the stances Tanner where it will depend on the player, the pitcher, the scenario, all of those things. But I do think it is possible because you're already on the ground, right? Um, And so most of the time it's just a flip of a glove and kind of a hinge at the hips and all of a sudden now you're in a blocking position. Now I think where it gets a little bit tricky and this is where I go back and forth is if the player is losing his catch radius because he's anchored into the ground, that's where I have more of an issue or not an issue with the dilemma. I'm less worried about the ball being in the dirt and maybe the slider that's pulled a little bit too far and we Mm. just can't reach it because we're already in the ground. But like I said, you got a guy that's dialed in and maybe we can get a few extra strikes here and there because we know all the pitches that he's throwing in the dirt or in between the white lines. I'm all for it. But what I tell our guys is we've got some guys on our staff that are going to spray it at times, but they have good stuff. So the thing is, we can't steal enough strikes to combat a single extra 90 given up, right? Sure. There's no way. That's a quarter of a run, right? You can yeah. check my math there, but <laughs> 90 feet is basically yeah. a quarter of a, quarter a run. Of a run. Right? Yes. And so we're never going to be able to steal enough strikes or gain some type of advantage from some different stance if it means that we're sacrificing a ball getting by us, right? Yeah. So. That's just my opinion there. And so it doesn't matter if you're one knee down or traditional or whatever, as long as we can just catch all the balls. Yeah. Love it. Very good. 
Coop, same theme, same question. Go ahead. Two really good points, the first two guys, man. I think that kind of what Henry was saying, certain guys, I found like with bigger guys, especially they get on the ground quicker, guys that maybe don't move as good um, from a one knee, but at the same time, how well do they go laterally? And there's not only is there like certain guys that, that you're, it's, it's very dependent on the pitcher, but it's dependent on even just like certain pitches within that guy's arsenal like guys that he may be really never spray never spikes a fastball or anything but man if he's gonna miss a slider he's gonna pull another batter's box we got to do something to get over there and if our if my guy's not going doesn't go well that way like in a certain stance like we probably can't be in that so we, and we've kind of stumbled upon that this fall a little bit like it's just certain pitches with certain guys hey, at the risk of giving away pitches in stance and stuff like that hey, we just got to be in our in the, in the best hands to block in at all times whenever he's on the mound. So I'm I'm the same school of thought as, as those first few guys. Yeah. I hate giving up extra bases. I really like strikes, but I, I like guy being on first as opposed to second and third as opposed to in the dugout. So yeah, yeah, I think and like I, to your point that you made first, like the pictures that like you you see on social media all the time, it's people griping about not being able to block in one knee and stuff. We'll say, hey, most of those examples are big leaguers, and it's a 91 mile hour slider in the other batter's box like i don't know who blocks that not <laughs> I, I, on purpose like, i don't know who blocks that on purpose and so i do that part of it is it's like all right like, come on like the ones that are reasonable and guys maybe being lazy yeah. or being inhibited yeah i get it there's i yeah. think that there's real gripes there but I, I like like those guys said it's super it's super individualized like i got i got a mix of guys that some just are like have been so trained in being in one knee all the time they're super comfortable doing everything in that some guys yeah can't and they probably never will which is fine and so it's all about the best best way to to move for our for the catcher and whatever it is i don't i'm i've never told a guy that it's better to do it one way or the other especially because every guy's different but yeah no that's good stuff hey phrase same question one offshoot from what cooper was just saying so is any of your thoughts on one knee for sure i'm also curious is this something you're coaching your catchers during the game hey based on who's coming in the game here's probably our best bet, with, bet, best bet with a stance, or is this something that you're coaching them in practice and then when it gets in the game, they got to figure it out? I think it's the latter. It's We've coached it in practice, so come game time, it's just natural for them. But I'm along the lines of it's very individualized. We teach everything every day in practice. When we're going right knee down, left knee down. We're going traditional. We're doing it blocking for throwing and just even the receiving drill. So we try to modify it when we're, whether we're working machines, we're just doing, I'm tossing it to them or they're tossing to each other. They're doing three to five with from each setup. And so now we've got one guy here, Hunter Klotz. He's a big six, three, 210 pound country strong kid who's a little bow legged and he doesn't get down. He's not hinged properly to really get down hats off to him he's been working at it but the traditional style is a little challenging for him yeah so he's gotten really good and efficient from the one knee technique and his catch radius henry brought up catch radius i think sometimes when they're in that one knee setup depending on their chest angle they have a much greater catch radius and so that's the most important factor to me now okay how do they have their legs positioned from a lot of blocking set up because you'll see some guys get the, their foot under their butt instead of having it out where they can push or pull depending on which knees up and so we just talk about all those things and just having those communication you know lines be open with them i know our pitching coach here he's a legend mike burkbeck and he doesn't like seeing guys down in that one knee set too much he wants he goes freddy that's a problem he'll just do his <laughs> little head shake at me 
I'll go, I'm on it coach. And so we get it, we get them right. But when a legend talks like that, you got to go with the legend. So yeah. Well, so we're, our guys know our number one job as catchers, make that guy look good. And some need a heck of a lot more help than others. So we've got to know, okay, Hey, I can do this technique with this guy. I got to get big. So I might go more traditional. It's just going to depend on the catcher, the guy on the mound at the time. Yeah. No, that's really good. Really good. All right. Let's see if we can sneak two more questions in. By the way, Connor Johnson, one of our listeners, I see your question. Yes. Austin Nola was the shortstop at LSU and converted to catcher, I think in pro ball. So yeah, he was literally not a catcher at LSU. So Tanner, let's do this one. Favorite, you can only pick one drill. It could be receive, throw, block, whatever you want. I'm only letting you pick one. What's your favorite catching drill? I have an alternating uh, receiving drill that we do with our guys. You have a J-band wrapped around your waist, so it's resisted, and you alternate between a one-pound weighted ball in the air and then short hops with the regular baseball. I like the pattern that it kind of implements, and it's been a good one for our guys. Cool. And, uh, boys, if you have video of any of these drills that you can share – there's a thread on Twitter, I'm sure, about tonight's show, so you can just attach that to the thread if you have it. No, that's good. I like the J-Band. That's cool. Go ahead, Henry. Favorite drill? For me, it's pretty standard. It's just a mini hack attack, and it's probably a breaking ball on, and I am yanking on the ramp or letting it fall and just randomizing the the height of the pitch. And so, guys, and we mix it up. Sometimes it's just catch and block. Sometimes I call it first and third, where if it's in the air, they're supposed to do their footwork like the guy's stealing second base. If not, they block. And so my thing is it's really difficult to get better at blocking unless it's random and you don't know that it's coming. And so right. it's just the realistic drill that we do probably just close to every day to keep their eyes trained. How many reps is, are you wanting your catchers to get per day in that? I would say at least about 20 pitches. So yeah. anywhere from half and half. And it's air. hack attack is all breaking ball, right? Like it's all, yeah. all spin. And we yeah. usually go with the mini one because we can, it gets good spin, but it's not beating them up and it's not 80 miles an hour. Right. That's a good idea. Yes, that is. That's yeah. I love it. Frage, let's go you next and then we'll go. Cool. I'm with uh, Henry on that one. I like the alternating drill. We've just gotten some, some of the smash balls that we'll put into the little hack and it doesn't beat our guys up as much, but you get pinpoint command with it. And I'll just be controlling the arm and it'll either be up or down. We also, our guys love competing with the walk one off the big hack where we'll fire up that big hack and they create a competition for themselves to see what takes the fear out. If you're afraid of it, you don't want to do the walk up. They'll just catch it and take a step forward, hop back down, catch it, take a step forward. And the guys want to see how far up they can go and, I, it scared me how far some of the guys have gotten up, but no fear. And I, you know, I love that in the guys. I, so I, each pitch they're getting it. closer to the machine. So yeah. increasing the velocity by, oh my gosh. Yeah. Now they'll start to get off to the side a little bit. <laughs> oh, sure. get, for obvious That's reasons, right. but it's well, a fun hey. one. And we, we try to make it fun because the drills can get so monotonous and tedious. You yeah. want to have competition involved on the daily. And then one other thing we do is I'll have to go back to one of the, my favorite things to do is have a guy coach a drill on that day because cool. I talked about conviction and communication and being assertive. So if there's a shortcoming they have, I'll say, hey, Mick, it's your day today. So Justin Mick, our guy behind the plate, he'll say, I want to do this drill. I said, all right, coach him through it. So he's got to take the reins and be the coach. And I'm just sitting there supervising. It's not that I'm trying to make my job easier. I just want him to be able to lead people. Love that. 
No, that's really cool. Yeah, what that old saying that you don't really know something until you can teach it. That's great. Yeah. Coop, go ahead. Favorite drill? Just a little bit of a variation of kind of the couple that like Henry and the other two guys talking about. I just do it with two. I can do it different ways, whether it's like breaking ball in the zone and one's a block. Just a lot of adjustability and vari like variation. Fastballs near side of the plate, like just working bad misses and just catching it. Like just straight up like a guy yanks one when you're set up on, on the opposite side of the plate. Just having that ability to make it as game-like as possible. Uh, you can do it with one, and I've just I've had had some time to be able to do, put up two machines on certain days and be able to do that. And whether it's yeah, breaking balls up, one one's up, one's a strike, one's down, and then or fastballs on the other side. Just trying to make it as game-like as possible, and not have them be back there to catch a bullpen or something all day to get those game-like reps. Love it. Oh, that's cool. All right, boys. Lightning round. Last question. So you can go see one catching guy as a clinician. So one, I'm looking for one name, your favorite person to hear talk about catching. Let's say you're getting to pick the speaker for the catching part of the convention in Nashville. Who would you? Who do you love to hear speak about catching? Go anywhere you want with this. Tanner, go ahead. I like Jerry Weinstein. I think he sees a lot of stuff that kind of other people maybe oversee or he finds like those little details. But I really like what, what he's about. Yeah, legend. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you're not following J-Dub, as we call him, Jerry Weinstein, on Twitter, absolutely got to change that tonight. Do not go to bed without following him on Twitter. He's amazing. Good call. Henry, go ahead. I'm going to go with Pat Borders. He was my first manager in pro ball, and uh, that was a treat because he played for forever, was a World Series MVP, and so he just had a ton of real in-game knowledge that I think is probably overlooked today. Any example, like any nugget from like in-game catching that just was like getting struck by a lightning bolt? Yeah, just because I'd never called any games other than maybe college summer ball before I got drafted. And I remember it was the first game and he was like, hey, when you start a guy off with a fastball here and you throw him a 1-0 fastball and it's a ball, what are you going to do? You throw him a 2-0 fastball and all of a sudden now you've thrown three fastballs in a row. And so it was just like, he was thinking so much farther ahead yeah. in at that than I was at the time. And that was just some pretty cool knowledge immediately. It sounds simple now, but it's crazy that it was beyond me at the time. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, those guys that have been in professional baseball for eons, they're just the repetitions. The game is so slow for them. It's really, it's just, it's awesome. They are such a great resource, those people. Oh. Freds, go ahead. One clinician. I would say Charlie Green with the Milwaukee Brewers uh, is their field coordinator. And I had a chance to go to a spring training one time when, when I was at KU. And John Sheff was on our staff at KU at the time, too. So he and I went out to Maryville and because he, he wanted to see Lou Croy, who he had at Lafayette. And I wanted to talk to Charlie a bit. And he's just an unbelievably energetic guy and had a lot of great knowledge. And here's your field coordinator walking around in leg guards everywhere he goes. And he was just, he was awesome and just had a lot of passion for the position. And he was a lot of fun to get to know and talk to. And his dad, who's a legend down in Florida, he's a treat as well. Yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. Yep. Coop, go ahead. One clinician. Oh, you're muted, Coop. Ryan Sienko, he's the catching coordinator for the Tigers now, I believe. I heard him when he was in L.A. with Dodgers for the first time. Um Really just like the way he's, he, I think he's like an old school guy at heart, but has learned to 
adapt to today's day and age of catching and his, he's at is it's like a catch and throw on twitter is he's got one of the catching account but like really simple like numbers to like to justify certain ways of training and why why his guys do certain things and it just seemed like it was i've heard him a couple times and i really took a lot out of every time he spoke love it so ryan with an r yes and sienko yeah, S I E N K O is I believe how you spell. Okay, Sienko. Okay, cool. You said he's with the Brewers now, or no? The, he was with the Dodgers. I think it's the Tigers now. I think Tigers now. Tigers. Got it. Yep. Yeah, he's with the Tigers. Love it. Yeah. Oh, great. Those are good. Those are yeah. Those, that's good. Good names for me to look up. That's awesome, fellas. This was so fun. We are almost fifty-seven minutes in, so we're gonna cut it there. Great insights. I clearly am the novice here when it comes to catching, but I learned so much tonight. This was really fun. So I appreciate your guys' time. This was great. Really great. I want to say thanks again to our friends at Netting Pros for their support of the show. I want to encourage everyone to support them. They're phenomenal. We'll see them with a huge display in Nashville at the ABCA. And for the listeners, we appreciate it. We'll be back next Sunday night. Next Sunday night's topic is infield play. Looking forward to that. And that is it. Everybody have a good night. Have a great week. And we will catch you next Sunday night. Take care. Boom.